So Money episode 1118, Ask Farnoosh post-election edition. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. November 6th, 2020. I'm recording this on November 4th in the afternoon. And currently, as I speak, we do not have an elected president for the next term. It's very close. It's anyone's guess. We're still waiting for the votes to be counted. And by the time you're hearing this, maybe we have a victor. Maybe we're a little bit closer to knowing. But I think this episode will still stand its ground. We're talking about what the results of the election may mean for our purse strings, for how we spend, how we save, how we invest. Coming up, I have a special guest joining me. You know him, Greg McBride. He is Senior Financial Analyst with Bankrate.com. And he's someone that I have been working with for, oh gosh, I think since the first day I worked at Money Magazine all of those years ago, Greg's always been a trusted source. And now he is going to be on the show with us soon to talk about what a Biden or a Trump win may mean for our taxes for the cost of healthcare, the cost of college, jobs, all the stuff that's really important to us. Even if a winner is announced, as you're hearing this, if a winner has already been announced, it could be contested, right? This is the sort of thing that we knew we were prepared for. The election was going to drag on. The results are still going to be up in the air for days, possibly weeks. Ahead of bringing Greg on the show, I wanted to just recap this week's episodes in case you missed any of the uh, the discussions we had on Monday. We had Honey Wilshonsky back on the show. She came on the show about a couple years ago. I wanted to introduce Connie to the audience as a female breadwinner, a mom of four, an entrepreneur, and just learn from her, you know, her tricks, her intelligence, her time management, and uh, all of the complexities that she deals with on a day-to-day basis. Fast forward to just this summer, Hani transferred her family from New York to Florida permanently. A big move for the family done amidst a lot of uncertainty, against a lot of fear. How she did that is where we pick up our conversation on Monday. And so if you're somebody who is considering change right now, and it's scary because we don't know what's on the other side of that decision, I think you'll really appreciate Hani's episode. On Wednesday, we had Annalise Wealth, who's the author of Dream of Legacy. This is a book that is dedicated to all parents out there who are raising black children. The book discusses the challenges and opportunities for families of color when it comes to creating and leaving a financial legacy. Annalise is a certified public accountant. She's a personal finance coach, grew up in Cameroon and France and moved to the United States at 18. She's also a mom of three girls. So much knowledge and experience and insight from Anne Lees. And if you haven't picked up her book, I highly recommend it. Dream of Legacy, Raising Strong and Financially Secure Black Kids. That episode was on Wednesday. Switching over to the iTunes reviews section, let's pick a reviewer of the week. 
I'm going to say thank you, thank you, thank you to Ali G in Philadelphia, who said the podcast is an amazing resource for anyone looking to develop financial literacy and become a better version of themselves. Farnoosh provides digestible and actionable content that has played an integral role in helping me navigate my finances. Ali says that uh, she is a or he is a professional in uh, their 20s, grateful to have found such an educational yet engaging podcast. Well, Allie, would love to talk to you. By the way, love that you're Allie G uh, from Philly. I haven't seen the new Borat movie. Have you guys seen it? I heard it's not as good as the original ones, but entertaining nonetheless. I'm going to have to check that out, you know, sometime between working, raising kids. Although I have been finding some time for television these days. I just wrapped, you're going to hate this. I just wrapped watching Emily in Paris. I started hate watching it about two weeks ago. The first episode, I actually got food poisoning in the middle of the episode. I started throwing up and I want to say that it wasn't just the food poisoning. It was the bad writing and just the terrible execution. Um, You know, coming from somebody who loves Paris, I think I just love and respect Paris so much that a show like this, I thought, really dumbed it down. Nevertheless, I finished it because as many of my friends who watched it said, it was a it was a hate watch sort of thing where you kind of got invested in the characters. And yes, you did want to see what the fashion was, but it was just so trite and the writing was just so elementary. But it, you know, at this point, kind you kind of want a no-brainer show. You kind of want a show that's not going to make you feel a lot. Because <laughs> you got enough feelings in your day to day life. That said, I also finished Ozark <laughs> on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. That was quite the show, quite the show. And I can't wait for the next season. Hopefully, there will be another season. I think there's going to be another season. Jason Bateman is incredible, as is Laura Linney. My gosh, talk about complex characters. It was a bit gory though, and I'm not into that, but somehow I worked my way through it uh, because I think the writing and plot lines were just so captivating. Okay, digressing. LAG, get in touch. Let me know you left the review. I believe you've been already in touch on Instagram, but just let me know and I will send you a link where you can pick a time for us to connect. There was a so-so review this week as well. This listener was not happy with the sound quality of the ads, which I really was not aware of. I sent this to our editor and said, I don't know if there are more people who feel this way, but this listener, Lazier Cats, said that the volume discrepancy between the show and pre-recorded ads is too much and it's obnoxious. So I... Don't know if that's what everyone is experiencing, but if you do agree with Laser Cats, send me a quick note on Instagram, direct message me. Um, I have sent this to my editor and we are working on it. He said that uh, they are edited on two different sort of waves. And although the sound levels are the same, it's a different quality of audio. So maybe that's what's throwing this person off. So we're working on it. Laser Cats, really appreciate your feedback. Hope that it's not going to deter you from listening to the rest of the show. All right, we're going to bring on my guest, Greg McBride, now. Greg, welcome back to the show. It's great to reconnect. We spoke last, I think it was March or April, when all hell was breaking loose and the pandemic had just really arrived, arrived. How have you been? I'm very, very well. Thanks, Varnush. It's great to be with you again. And, uh, 
Yeah. Wow. What a uh, what a ride it's been uh, the last you know seven or eight months since we last spoke. You're in Florida. I'm in New Jersey. Through the roof. Stock market was very, very, very volatile. Coming off of March's huge decline, and then of course we've picked things up since then. But based on what you thought was going to happen in terms of what might have happened to jobs, the economy, the business world, how do you feel? How do you feel about things right now? Are you more su- like surprised that things didn't get so as dark as you thought or or are you kind of where you thought we'd be? Well, I'm encouraged that we have seen, I think, a stronger, quicker rebound in some respects than I was expecting. But I'm concerned and a little anxious that we haven't put the virus behind us. And so this is still a threat. And so while, you know, I think we we have rebounded from the the depths of the recession and, and unemployment very quickly, we've only recovered about half of the jobs that were lost during the pandemic. And the pace at which we're recovering those is slowing. That's my concern, right? The virus counts are growing. The, the job recovery is already slowing and the lack of stimulus for households that are unemployed, underemployed, uh, and for small businesses, uh, you know, it does present another risk factor from an economic perspective because with each passing day, a lot of those households and businesses are getting closer to the financial break. Right. And so here we are talking not just eight months or seven months later, how long it's been, but on a very important week, during a very important week, uh, which is post-election. We don't know the results, uh, the definitive results, although this is Friday now that everyone's listening. Greg and I, as I mentioned, we have recorded this on Wednesday, post-election day. And so even if we, I was saying, even if we think we know who got all the electoral votes they, they needed, it could still be contested. So all of that aside, whoever becomes president, to your point, I think, the first matter is putting this virus to bed. What would you like to see happen? Because that does obviously have a trickle down effect. We've already experienced it. It's led to a recession. It's led to job loss, not to mention many, many, many lives lost. And so what would you like to see or what do you think should happen in the next hundred, let's say the president's first hundred days in office to stem this? Well, what I'd really like to see, I don't know is something that president can do single-handedly anyway. Uh, You know, I would love to see us put this virus behind us, however that might be, whether it's a vaccine, therapeutics, or, uh, you know, just policy where everybody is wearing masks and being diligent and and we do it that way. Uh, You know, regardless, um, you know, it's going to be very difficult for the economy to sustain the recovery and get back to where we were pre-pandemic, you know, as long as this is is still a threat and, and as long as it's contributing to elevated unemployment and holding back demand. And I think that's the other thing is that, you know, it's one thing, you know, to say that restaurants can open up, but if people aren't coming, you know, from the restaurant's perspective, right. you know, business is only a fraction of what it had been pre-pandemic. And, you know, I, I mean, at least in Florida, I've, I've seen a lot of that. Yeah. And speaking of policy, obviously, Biden and Trump both have their own policies that they've proposed. There are a lot of promises made during election season. It's not to say that a lot of these things are actually going to happen, but what, what should we know about with regards to taxes? Let's start there. Like with taxes, do you have any thoughts on this in terms of 
if Biden wins or if Trump wins. I mean, I think we're just going to see, depending on who you are and how much you make, uh, increase in taxes. Well, what we do know is just what's been proposed. But as as you said, you, you know, what where the rubber meets the road is, you know, does something get enacted and what's it look like finally, right? Because that also depends on the makeup of Congress to an extent. So, right. uh, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of, of, you know, people overhauling their finances or making moves on a uh, presumption of something passing. Um, simply because there's just too many unknowns. But from the tax standpoint, uh, you know, what's been laid out at this point, um, you know, from the Biden camp is that they would increase taxes uh, for those that are making more than $400,000 a year. Um, And from the Trump camp, uh, the idea of, uh, you know, further tax cuts, um, tax cuts for the middle class, and, you know, a lot of um, effort towards making those uh, the, the previous tax cuts that were put into effect in 2017 uh, permanent and, and not having that 2025 expiration as they currently do. Are you a homeowner, Greg? I am. As am I. And I have to say, before we bought this house, our we bought it in the pandemic, our real estate agent was like, be prepared for your taxes to go up, your property taxes. And that wasn't just because of inflation, but because of the fact that, you know, New Jersey as a state, you know, we're having some fiscal challenges, as is so many other states right now, right? There's there's gotta be some way to make up for that as for at a state level. So I think that's sort of regardless of who's president at the state level, we might see some of our property taxes go up, municipality taxes. What do you, where do you stand on that? Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. And it, but your, your uh, comment also sort of brings to mind something else that does pertain to homeowners. This is completely independent of, of, of the election is just the fact that in a lot of states where there's an amendment in place that, that caps the increase on your property taxes uh, for a homeowner, um, You've got to be, if you're buying a home, you've got to be prepared for some sticker shock there. So, mm-hmm. for example, in a state like Florida or California, uh, the homeowner you're buying the home from, what they've been paying in property taxes may have zero bearing on what you pay as property taxes because the assessed value of that home gets reset upon the sale. And so that can be an issue of, of sticker shock for, for new home buyers, particularly if you're going into a market you haven't been in to, uh, before. Uh, and so, the, you know, that's one. The other thing is, uh, and really across the board, people get accustomed to their mortgage payment. And but that first year, the amount that's being escrowed, it's kind of an estimate and it might be a little bit off. And so there's a very real possibility that the second year after you've been in a home a full year, the second year is when your the escrow portion of your mortgage payment reflects reality. And that too can deliver a sticker shock to people. Mm -hmm. I've seen that happen. So again, sort of independent of just the the overall trend of states and municipalities needing to raise more tax revenue. uh, You know, that kind of tells you which way the wind is blowing over time. I think there are a couple of things that could sneak up on on homeowners, particularly those that are are, in the market looking to buy or have recently bought. People have this assumption that who's in office will necessarily mean certain things about jobs and health insurance. And yes, there's there's plans and there's proposals. But at the end of the day, there's so many other influences. It's not just who's in office that's going to determine your financial trajectory. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and the economic backdrop is a big part of that, too. I mean, like you're seeing with elevated unemployment and the fact that jobs disappear a lot faster than they reappear as an economy recovers. Uh, and so, you know, yes, there are a, a lot of people that are in a, you know real hardship right now because of the job situation. Uh, we went from the lowest unemployment in 50 years to you know, the highest uh, unemployment uh, in, you know, 90. Um, we've recovered, like I said, about half of the jobs lost during the pandemic. But Again, only only half, and the pace of, of that recovery is is slowing. So, yeah, I think there's there's you know really that one fundamental point that's central to household finances: it's sustainability of employment and income. Um, you know, some of that may be dependent upon the economic backdrop or the particular industry you're in. Some of that may depend upon particular policies, um, and some of that too may depend on uh, your you know. Your, your skill set, your talents, what, you know, what are you, you know, uh, how portable are your skills? Are you able to, you know, change to a different industry, change to a different employer, move to a different part of the country and kind of pick up where you left off? I think all of those are, are different pieces of the pie. And in a recession, there's so much fertile ground for entrepreneurship and pivoting and things like that. So I think, um, again, while between Trump and Biden, they're promising different types of job growth plans. There's going to be job growth no matter who wins, but it's just going to kind of show up differently. But as an individual, as a person, the fact that we are in a recession, there's a, there are fewer barriers to starting a business. Innovation is hot right now. And I think there are opportunities uh, regardless, again, of who's in office, those opportunities will still be there. Yeah, in an economic recovery, we'll see job creation, and you know that's so that's really the the, the, the backdrop. Yeah, it you know uh, it may vary a little bit. The type of job creation may vary a little bit depending on different policies and regulations. But if the economy's growing, if the economy's recovering, you're right. It opens the door to a lot of opportunities in terms of entrepreneurship and, and job creation. You know, irrespective of uh, an election outcome. Do you think a stimulus and a round two is is necessary? I think so. For some reason, we don't have one yet. I feel like that should be also on one of the to do on the to do list within the first hundred days, if possible. Absolutely, the lack of that is a real economic risk. Um, you know, we talked a lot about those that are unemployed, but. You know, we found that the hardship goes far beyond those that are unemployed. We found that uh, almost half of American households had seen their income take a hit at some time during the pandemic. Forty nine percent of households mm -hmm. said their income had suffered at one point during the pandemic. Uh, and uh, for 42 percent of them, it had yet to come back. So now, there are a lot of people, millions, tens of millions of people that are back to work, but they're making less than they were pre-pandemic because they've had their hours cut, because the business can't operate normally, um, they've taken an outright pay cut, whatever the case may be. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a definite uh, need, certainly among the unemployed who have seen that federal uh, weekly benefit go away, but also among those that are working and they've just, they, there's, there's a big gap between what they're bringing home now and what they were bringing home this time of year ago. What's your advice for someone at this stage in the year, in the pandemic, if they have been on unemployment or they're obviously unemployment only makes up a fraction of what you were previously earning for many people, you know, aside from saying like, 
make a budget <laughs> until this next stimulus rolls around. What would you say to someone who's struggling? Well, one of the things that I'm seeing is that we are starting to see a lot of those initial mortgage forbearances roll off. Um, and under the CARES Act, the way that that worked was uh, if you had a federally backed mortgage, you were eligible for 180 days of, of forbearance. But then that could be renewed for an additional 180 days if you were still experiencing financial hardship. Seeing the numbers of these forbearances rolling off at the end of that first 180 days it concerns me that there are a lot of people that don't know they can get it renewed for an additional. Oh, wow. And so that's really the one that I would stress because the mortgage payment is the single biggest component of, of most households budgets. And if you can get payment relief on that front, boy, does that go a long way toward stretching the limited dollars you may have coming in. So that's a point worth stressing. And in terms of your other financial obligations, there are payment relief options available there as well. So if you haven't already sought payment relief on your car loan, your credit cards, uh, or even you know private student loans, go ahead and do that. One thing to bear in mind is federal student loan, um, the, the uh, waiving of interest and, and payment requirements, that is set to expire at the end of December. So mm-hmm. unless there's a stimulus package that renews that, be prepared to resume making those student loan payments in January. But the mortgage payments can be renewed. The the deferment of those can be renewed per the CARES Act that came out this summer. Yes. And that's if you have a federally backed mortgage, which does govern most homeowners. Uh, So, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA loan, um, you are eligible for that under the CARES Act. Reach out to your lender. There is payment relief available, but you've got to raise your hand and ask for it. And per the terms of the CARES Act, it doesn't end after the first 180 days. If you're still experiencing hardship, you can renew it for an additional 180 days. Wonderful. Thank you for that reminder. I didn't know that. So if I didn't know that, I'm sure a lot of people didn't. You know, I get a question often, Greg, about investing in times like these when there is so much at stake and there's so much uncertainty. I know that you and I both agree the market is not, it's not about timing the market, but it's about time. Just get in. So you have that time to sort of ride the inherent volatility. And sometimes, you know, the headlines love to pair election with stock market movement (laughs) Um, as if like it has anything to do (laughs) with long-term definitive long-term meaning in the market. And and so what what would you like to remind people about when it comes to things like elections and the stock market? If you're wondering, is now a good time to invest or should I wait till January when things are more clear? Well, you know, I think that the time in the market is key, as you said. As investors, our time horizon is measured in decades. We've got decades in which we are in our careers and we are working and we are saving for retirement. And then hopefully we've got decades at the other end where we're in retirement and we're drawing down those assets. And so the money you accumulate, you're accumulating it over decades and and it needs to last you for decades. That's how you need to think in terms of time horizon. Presidents come and go every four to eight years. But if you're investing over a time horizon of 40, 50, 60 years or more, you're going to have a lot of different presidents during that time. You can't overhaul your portfolio every time there's a change uh, and, and, uh, you know, there's an election or every time there's a change in the presidency, you're just going to spin your wheels. And so, you know, as as difficult as it may be, you, you really sort of have to take your 
political hat off and just be as agnostic as, as possible about the current events and maintain that long-term focus because the market has gone up under Republican administrations. It's gone up under Democratic administrations. You know, the market over time is going to go up and you you need to be in it in order to participate in that. I'm not a big fan of, of timing the market. Uh, if you're worried about putting all your money in and having the market go down immediately, then dollar cost average. Put money in on a regular basis, you know, even monthly amount. That's the beauty of a 401k plan. You're contributing every payday. You're not putting all your money in at once. But the important thing is get in, be in the market. You got to be in it to win it. In fact, I'm looking at this chart on Bloomberg, which is showing yearly S&P 500 index returns by president. It goes all the way back to George H.W. Bush, 1989. So what that's like 30 years of presidential years. And within those 30 years, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years of negative returns. The rest are in the black. That's also something to chew on. Yep. We've had, you know, over that same horizon, we've had uh, three recessions, four now, four recessions. Um, and, you know, as you noted, it's, you know, basically 22 to eight or whatever in terms of winning years, getting the edge over over the, the, the losing years. And so I think this too shall pass, right? Mm -hmm. You know, regardless of what's happening in the market now, regardless of, you know, you know, where we are in the economic perspective now, over time, the economy grows a lot more than it, than it shrinks. The market goes up a lot more than it goes down. Uh, and I, you know, sometimes it's difficult to have that perspective when we're staring at high unemployment and, you know, concerns about job losses and, and, and businesses closing. But, you know, the other side of this is, you know, um, you know, there, there are brighter days ahead. Yeah, man. 2008, though, was a really bad one. I'm looking at the chart and that was really, really the worst in, in many decades. But we made it back. Yeah, market, you know, not only recovered, but we're on to set new highs, you know, for, for years and years thereafter. And so you can't wait until the economic coast is clear to start investing because by then you've missed the lion's share of the rebound. And, you know, this year, I think, is an excellent illustration of that the market fell by almost a third between mid-February and mid-March, but then it started to recover. And, you know, by September, August, September, we were, we had recovered all those losses and were setting new record highs. The economic headlines in August and September are still really bad. So, you know, again, it's, you know, the market, it, it went down before that, um, you know, virus really got a grip on the economy, but it started to rebound, you know, long before the economic headlines turned. So we have covered the stock market, we've covered jobs, we've covered taxes at the federal level, at the state level. We're going into a really interesting winter, right, with COVID levels spiking. Just if we are going to repeat what we experienced in the months of March and April, at even, you know, with the hospitals being overwhelmed and people not leaving their homes, I mean, we're going to, we have so much more to go. We have so much more 
to experience before I think we're going to be on the other side of this. What's your advice for people? I mean, now we kind of know what we might expect, which we didn't know in February going into March. A lot of us were caught off guard, didn't have our savings plans together. And so maybe there's an opportunity here for some of us to like squirrel away some money, just any money you can between now and the end of the year in preparation for what could be a very long and cold winter, if you know what I mean. I couldn't agree more. You're absolutely right. I think, you know, really savings is, you know, is that that's the one thing that, you know, could help you sleep at night at an otherwise, you know, time of, of, you know, great angst, both from a health perspective and potentially from an economic perspective as well. Only about one in four American households actually has an adequate emergency savings cushion, enough to cover six months worth of expenses. So more always better than less in that regard. And I I think now is the time to really embrace that and, and uh, you know, make concerted effort to boosting the savings because we're heading into the holiday season and people are grasping for any sense of normalcy. And, you know, there might be the tendency that the frugal fatigue gets a hold of you and, you know, you know, this, you know you, you, maybe you go a little overboard. Um, you know, I think it, you have to sort of corral that urge as much as you can. Um, look on, look at boosting the savings while you can just because of, all the uncertainty that lies ahead, having a little bit more money put away as opposed to a little bit less, definitely the better spot to be in, um, particularly with so many unknowns from an economic and health perspective. Well, Greg, thanks for keeping this as bipartisan as possible. You know, obviously without knowing obviously who's going to be our uh, president in 2021 yet, or maybe we do, I don't know. I would say safely at this point, Friday, you're hearing this, we don't definitively know. So I appreciate kind of giving us both sides of the equation, but also making sure that we keep a big picture here. And we also look at history to remind us of what might play out in our future. One thing is for certain though, we're still living in a pandemic. We still need to play it safe. We still need to socially distance. And taking the time now to just save a little bit of money, whatever you can, paying down your debt, but first primarily saving, I think would be priority at this point. Because I mean, I've been saying it all along this year, Greg, I feel like 2020 was hard, but 2021 could be harder on our, on our bottom lines if we don't follow safety procedures this winter. It's just, we, can't, we don't have a vaccine yet. So until that happens... Yeah, and there are just certain financial fundamentals that hold true regardless of, you know, who's president or or whether we're in a pandemic or not. And, you know, you, you kind of hit on it there, right? It's boost that emergency savings, pay down debt, uh, invest for the long haul, maintain that long-term perspective. You know, if, if, you're, if you're checking each of those boxes, um, you know, that's, you know, the, the, that that that's really what you need to do in order to stay on track, both in the short term and in the long term. Greg McBride, thank you as always. Everybody check out bankrate.com, an incredible resource for content, advice, up to the minute rates. If you're looking for a new bank, if you're looking for a mortgage, if you're looking for a great credit card, check out bankrate.com. And of course, Greg's always got fresh commentary. I want to invite you again on another time soon. And hopefully we'll have more rosier things to talk about. We can be on the other side of this talking about, you know, maybe <laughs> things to look forward to that are, are less, I don't know, how would you characterize it? Just challenging? Well, maybe the glass will be half full. Yes, there you go. <laughs> 
Thanks again, Greg. And everybody listening, I hope your weekend is so money. 